Well, good evening. If you are new around these parts and don't know me, uh, my name is Kenny. Uh, although as a looker, I think most of the people in this room know who I am. And uh, I get a chance to serve as a part of the staff team here at Mosaic Church and have the privilege and honor of getting a chance to communicate here on Thursday nights on a pretty regular basis. And so love, love, love getting a chance to hang out with young adults here at 8.32 on Thursdays. Uh, we do this every single week um, so that young adults like you can have a space where you can connect with one another and worship together and get a chance to uh, hear the word communicated and truth communicated in a way that is contextualized for you uh, as a young adult uh, in, our, in our cultural context. Um, but the grander picture, the, the reason why we do gatherings, the reason why we do much of what we do is because we're obsessed with the gospel. That's it. We are obsessed with the truth, the good news, that the God of the universe is pursuing after humans, seeking to fix a sin problem that we created. We are obsessed with the truth that there is a God who created everything, who is big and strong and awesome. And the Bible clearly tells us truthfully that he holds the universe in the palms of his hands, that he is massive and is not obligated to care for you and I, but he does desperately, passionately love you. And he desperately and passionately loves me, that he loves us that he seeks to pursue us to have friendship with him. And that ultimately is the reason why he created us in the beginning. He created us so to have friendship with him, but we blew it. All of us have sinned and we've done stupid things. And so we have brought a barrier between us and the living God. And ultimately the story could have ended there. The end of the story could have been, I created you, you blew it to hell with you. Literally. That could have been the story. But God desperately loves us so much that he chooses to look past our folly, our stupidity, our selfishness, our sin. And he chooses to love us in spite of that. And he chooses to come after us and give us the opportunity to come back to having friendship with him. The God of the universe could have stayed on his throne in heaven where he oversaw all the universes and all of the multiple galaxies that are in the universe but he chooses to step off his throne into time and to live among us, to, to subject himself to all the pain and hurt and sin and disease and all the junk that we brought upon ourselves. He chooses to live among us and to expose himself to that so that he could live a life that you and I should have lived and ultimately dies a brutal, wicked death that we should have died. And he gives an invitation to all of us. And he says, you are guilty because of your sin. You are separated from God. But because I love you, I'm going to make a deal. Let's, let's make a deal. If you follow me, if you would choose to be a follower of me, believe in me, be faithful to me, I will take your guilt and put it on myself. So that when I died at the cross, the work of the cross will be applied to you and your sins can be forgiven. So that you can have friendship with God Again, what a deal. So I, I, what do I have to offer you? Nothing. So I bring you my sin. Anything else? Nope. Uh, I come to you and just say, I believe you. Yep. And you wipe the record clean as if it never happened. Yep. That's a pretty big deal. This is an incredible deal. And every time I think about it, every time I consider the gospel, the good news that Jesus made a way for us to be friends with God again, that Jesus made a way for my sin problem to be rectified, 
I'm blown away. It's insane. It's actually stupid. God, the deal that you made is crazy. Do you not realize you get the raw end of the deal? There's, there's, there's nothing in it for you. He's like, I know, except I get to demonstrate my love. And I get to invite you to be a part of a friendship, a story with me. I go, wow. See, this is the truth of the gospel. And this truth is so powerful that when Jesus lives on planet Earth, he dies, he raises from the dead. And then very soon thereafter, the story of the church is born. There's a, a movement. There's these dudes that Jesus hung out with, his disciples. He hung out with these guys for three years. He mentors them. He coaches them. And then he says, listen, gentlemen, you're going to go and you're going to lead this movement for the next several years. And you're going to pass the baton on to the next generation. And there will be a legacy that is built, a gospel legacy that is built, starting with me and through you. And it will continue on and on. And ultimately, it'll point back to how great I am. And so these dudes begin to travel through the known world and begin to proclaim this truth that the God of the universe is choosing to look past our stupidities, our stupid choices, our folly, our sin, our selfishness, and saying, I'm willing to look past that because I love you. And this gospel, this good news begins to travel throughout the known world and literally begins to turn whole cities upside down. This movement begins to revolutionize whole nations, families, destinies. Everything that the gospel touches is transformed. And in the early part of, the, of the, this movement, this church movement, this guy Luke, who's a physician, uh, begins to document in a very precise manner the, the, the elements of the early church. And we have that in the Bible. It's called the Book of Acts. Much like a journalist would chronicle the events of, his, of, of our human history, of our time, Luke begins to chronicle the events with great precision and great accuracy, the things that take place in the early movement as the gospel spreads. And we see lots of cool things that, that Luke is documenting. Luke is a doctor. He's one of the dudes traveling with this guy named Paul, who's one of the early church leaders. Many of you in this room, obviously, were probably very familiar with the Apostle Paul and his work. And the Luke is traveling with Paul. He's seeing some really cool things. And uh, there's at one point, the Apostle Paul travels back to the city of Jerusalem to hang out in this conference, to kind of take care of some doctrinal debates. And then as he continues to travel through what is modern-day Turkey and modern-day Greece, uh, you begin to see this character, Paul, do some really extraordinary things for the gospel. And he's, he's got his own crew of dudes, much like Jesus did. He's got a crew of dudes that he's mentoring and coaching along the way. And they're traveling together, and they, go, they come to the city of uh, Derbe and Lystra. And then after that, they go through the region of Macedonia, and they stop in the city of Philippi, and they have this really cool moment in a jail cell while they're in prison. And we traveled through that over the last few weeks. And then, then they come to the city called Thessalonica, Thessalonica. And some, some really cool things happen there. And then they travel to the city of Berea. And then Paul ends up in Athens at a place called Mars Hill proclaiming the gospel. And then he ends up several months later in a city called Corinth. And there, Paul and his, and his crew have kind of been traveling. They're kind of been nomads. But they land in the city of Corinth. And there they decide to kind of, kind of camp uh, to camp for a little while. They kind of set up shop there. They decide they're going to kind of have Corinth be their, their, uh, their platform, their, kind of the, their, their launching pad. And then they, they're, he's ended up being there for about 18 months or so. In most places, he'd only be there a few weeks, maybe a few months at most. But he gets to Corinth and decides that he's going to stay there to really kind of help build the, the organization that is the church that is building in the city of Corinth. And he stays there for 18 months. And from there, he sends out his dues to go do some cool ministry. He sends this guy to this city, this guy to this city, this guy to this city, they come back. And at one point when he's in Corinth, 
he's getting rumors and he's hearing about things that are happening in one of the cities he had been in just a few weeks earlier or a few months earlier. He'd been in the city of Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, he had done some really great ministry in the synagogue and the gospel began to spread out and lots of people began to believe in Jesus. The gospel does what it does. It began to do again in Thessalonica what it always does and that is it transforms lives. But Paul began to hear rumors about two things happening in that city. Um, one, that the city, had, there, was, there was great persecution coming from the Jewish people. So there's lots of Jewish people who are coming to the Thessalonians, the Christian Thessalonians, saying, hey, you really shouldn't follow this Jesus character. He's a fraud. And that guy, Paul, is even worse. You definitely shouldn't follow him. But the other thing that was coming against the church in Thessalonica, against the Christian Thessalonians, was the fact that the city of Thessalonica was a free Roman city. Very few were free, there were very few uh, free Roman cities in the first century. What a free Roman city something was this. The people lived there were self-governed. They were self-ruled. There was a very libertarian perspective in that city. There was very much a do whatever you want, live free, be faithful to whatever makes you feel good. If anyone gives you instructions and asks you to obey something that's going to limit what makes you feel good, fight against that. That was a very progressive ideology in that time. And the city that was, kind of, that was drumming that beat more than any other city in that region was the city of Thessalonica. So the Christians are getting in on both sides. They're, they're, being, they're trying to be faithful to the gospel, and they're getting these people telling them, don't be faithful to anything that stops you from feeling good. Throw that off. And they have these guys saying, you're, not, you're being faithful to the wrong thing. Jesus is a fraud. And on both sides, they're getting this. And so Paul, living in Corinth at the time, gets wind of this, and he's very nervous. He's very concerned for the, for the Christians living in the city of Thessalonica. So he sends his boy, Timothy. Timothy, come here. Listen, bro, I need you to go up to the city and check it out, because I'm hearing that that crazy sin city, those Romans are trying to pull them down. The Jews are coming against them. I need you to go up there. I need you to make sure they're good. Encourage them. If there's any problems in the church, set it straight. I need you to go there and take care of business. And Timothy goes there, spends some time, and he comes back, and he reports something to Paul that is quite shocking to some. Paul is actually pleasantly surprised to find out that they were not this struggling church, barely making it, but that in fact... There was actually a great reputation amongst the Christians in the city of Thessalonica that they were very faithful to the gospel. Not just in that city, but the entire region in and around Macedonia, what is modern-day western Turkey and northern Greece, that the entire region had heard about the faithfulness of these Christians to the gospel. And so Paul determines why he's in Corinth to write some letters to encourage them. So he writes the first letter. This is in the Bible. We call it 1 Thessalonians. And then a few months later, he writes a second letter, also from Corinth, sending them. And he's encouraging them. In both letters, he starts off this way. You can turn there in the beautiful blue Bibles, page 640. Page 640. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church. He says this. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. He's like, dude, I'm always praying for you. I'm always thinking about you. Remembering, verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, man, I'm writing this letter to you. Because Timothy just came back and you told us how good you're doing. Man, you, your love is awesome. Your steadfastness is great. You guys are being faithful. 
And then what begins to happen, we see as we travel through the letter of 1 Thessalonians, is that we begin to see that the reputation of the, Thess- the church, Christians in Thessalonica began to spread to such a point where they became an inspiration to all of the other Christians of the region. In fact, in multiple occurrences, as we read through 1 and 2 Thessalonians, we see, we, we see evidences that Paul, either himself or one of his boys, had gone to another city. And when they arrive, they're like, here, we want to tell you about Jesus. They're like, yeah, we don't know a lot about Jesus, but we heard about these people who follow Jesus up in Thessalonica. And they're super faithful, and they're so awesome, and they're so legit that I want to believe. So give me the message because I'm ready to believe it. Because they had been so faithful in the way they lived. The reputation of the Thessalonian Christians had spread. See, in the first, the first letter, Paul encourages them in their great faith. And then in the second letter, he does the exact same thing. First, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, verses th- uh, 4 and 5 says, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God. He's like, man, every time we go to a church, we boast about how awesome you guys are. It's incredible. You guys have stuck to this. There's this incredible stick to about the church of Thessalonica, where they were persistent in their faith. They were faithful. Now, when we use the word faithful, kind of want to unpack it for a second. What does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to have faithfulness? Literally, faithful means to be full of faith. And faith is the idea we're talking about trust or confidence. Simple example, when you walked in here tonight, you sat in a chair. All of you are sitting in a chair Right? Brandon is sitting in the chair. He is confident the chair could hold you up. See, I, I may not be able to look into his heart and knows what he believes, but I can see the outward evidence. If he didn't have confidence in the chair, he would not have sat in the chair. And I don't know about you. I've walked into places where I'm not going to sit in the chair. I'm not so sure. The chair looks a little weak, and I know I've had too many donuts that week, so I'm not, I'm not going to sit in the chair. And so, man, But the fact that you're sitting in a chair is the evidence that you have an inward confidence. And to be faithful is to be full of belief, full of confidence in whatever it is you're putting your hope or your faith in. And so the Thessalonians were being so faithful, they were living their life in such a way that it was obvious they were full of belief. You know, in our culture, we, um, we often celebrate faithfulness. We celebrate stick or persistence. People who are persevering. We celebrate that. We, we actually, we're kind of bred in American Western culture to be people who don't quit. We, we, we hear a lot of time, stick to it. You know, be persevering. Don't quit. Fight for what you believe in. You know, don't quit. We've seen movies like Rocky. We see movies, uh, you know, of, of different sports teams that don't quit. Or we see movies like uh, Bethany Hamilton getting her arm bitten off and she surfs again. I don't know about you. I'm like, listen, the shark won. I'm done in the water. Okay, but, but she surfs again with one arm and that's awesome. Because you're like, stick to it. And we have this kind of, we're kind of, it's bred in our culture. or We're kind of bred to be perseverant. We do this in sports. Um, we do this in academics. We do this in our jobs. But oftentimes our Western stick is really tied to something selfish. It's often tied to the fact that there are certain circumstances or conditions or a reward. So we'll be real perseverant and work really hard in our jobs when we're serving tables because we know it might lead in getting a good tip. Or we might be real perseverant in you know, asking our girl on a date because it might lead to getting a date. I mean, in my case, not so much. But in some people's cases, in some other people's over there, just kidding. See, we work really hard sometimes because I'm going to work really hard at sports so that I can win a championship. Oftentimes, our perseverant character is an overflow, not of some deep character or conviction, but in a desire to achieve a particular reward or to get something in return. 
And the Thessalonians had a great form of faithfulness that we can learn from. They had a legacy, a reputation that was growing for being faithful, not to get something in return, but to bring something to God. You see, when we are faithful, God takes great joy in watching us. He relishes, he delights in his people being faithful to him for no other purpose than for being faithful to him. He loves it. And so oftentimes in our society, we want to be perseverant. We want to go after something because we'll get something in return. But God is inviting us into a story. He's inviting us to have a friendship with him, to allow that friendship to so govern our lives, to so revolutionize our entire perspective, where we are faithful to doing that which he calls us to do, even if it never turns out good for us. Even if we get nothing in return. Because what I know for sure is that my reward is the fact that God brings or God experiences joy when I'm faithful to him. Ask yourself tonight that question honestly. Examine yourself. In areas where I am faithful, is it because I'm going to end up with a reward in some way? Or is it genuinely, solely motivated and inspired by the fact that I know it brings joy to the one I love most? So oftentimes our faithfulness is motivated by something other than our love for God. Even good things we do. And so oftentimes, when the conditions go awry, or things don't go our way, or we don't get the thing we were hoping for, our desire to be faithful begins to wane, begins to waver. And God is inviting us to say, no, no, no. I live the life among you, faithful, and you can too. See, the Thessalonians, they understood this. So when, Paul, when Timothy comes back to Paul, he's not saying they're barely, they're barely making. He's saying there is a group of people that are, that are revolutionizing the entire region in which they live because they are so focused on a gospel legacy so much greater than what they experience in the moment. So much greater. Faithfulness brings joy to God and it creates a legacy. People are impressed by faithfulness. I think about this. Uh, so oftentimes we'll, you'll talk to a married couple that's been married for 50 or 60 or 65 years. If you're ever in a public setting where someone is in the room and they say, man, these guys have been married for 65 years, the entire room will stand up and will applaud or it'll cheer to be excited. There's something about doing something for a long period of time and doing it well that is impressive to all of us. There is something innate in us that knows that that is awesome. I don't know, I remember when I was in high school, I graduated high school, I had decent academic achievements, but no one cheered for me. They cheered for the kid who had never missed a day of school. Perfect attendance. Like, he's like a C-plus student, but everyone's cheering for him. Like, because they, we recognize that being there every day is a big accomplishment, that very few ever can ever achieve that. So we recognize this, this is an element of faithfulness that is impressive. The other thing that faithfulness begins to do is it begins to authenticate the faith on the inside of you. It begins to prove that your faith is real and the thing you've put your faith in is powerful. I'll give you an example. Uh, when I first moved to Florida, I weighed about 242 pounds. And today I weigh about 213 pounds. 
I actually weighed about 200 not too long ago, so that's not super exciting. Uh, I weighed 213 as of this morning. And uh, the re- one of the reasons why um, I began to lose lots of weight is because I was faithful to eliminating sugar, carbs, gluten, um, and I was running and exercising quite a bit. And so people began to see me and they go, man, you're losing weight. You're looking, man, you look like you're healthier. And I... It began to be the evidence that I've got confidence in something. I had confidence that saying no to the red velvet donuts in the lobby, which I love, and they're amazing, uh, saying no to them, I had confidence, would make me healthier. And in turn, in turn, people began to see that and go, your faithfulness is real. The evidence that you have confidence in something is the fact that you've been faithful to it. It's showing, and the thing you've put your confidence in actually has power. When you are faithful to something over and over and over again, it creates a legacy. It's impressive. And people begin to take note and they wonder about the power of the thing you put your confidence in. And when we are faithful to the gospel, to do what the gospel demands of us, to do that which Christ would ask of us over and over and over again, when we do it to the best of our ability, when we do it over and over again faithfully, people begin to take note and they begin, to, they begin to question and wonder about the power of the thing you've put your faith in. That doesn't necessarily always lead to them putting their faith in Christ. Sometimes it will lead to great persecution against you. But always, always people take note of a legacy of any group of people that are faithful, that are faithful. We see this, uh, we see this in the scriptures quite a bit. Uh, if you were here, over here, those of you who are part of our young adult group, uh, for quite some time. About a year ago, we went through the life of several people in the Old Testament. And one of the ones we examined was a guy by the name of Joseph. If you're not familiar with Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he ends up being a servant in one of the, a wealth, one of the wealthiest guys in the, the known world at that time, this guy named Potiphar. And he's a slave in the house of Potiphar. But he works so hard, he works himself up to be number two in command of all of Potiphar's house. And there comes a point where Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of rape. She actually had come on to him. She, she had the hots for Joseph, so she p- makes the moves. He rejects her. She's angry, and therefore she accuses him of rape, which is not true. And in that culture, Potiphar could have had Joseph executed, but he doesn't because Joseph swears by his God that he did not attempt to rape his wife. So Potiphar, to save face for his wife, has Joseph thrown in prison. Um, but ultimately, Potiphar tells his wife, if Joseph swears by his God, I know he didn't do it. Potiphar didn't believe his wife because Joseph had lived a life that was so faithful. He goes, Joseph wouldn't do that. I got to pick him over my own wife because this dude's too faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. And when you are faithful, when there's a legacy, a reputation of you being faithful, people take note. And when there's a reputation of you not being faithful, where people watch you not being faithful, even though you say you are, they also take note. And the opposite begins to happen. Rather than them inquiring or potentially having confidence in the thing that you've put your confidence in, they begin to question a thing you claim to have confidence in. See, that's, that's the problem at the world. They see Christians that say they love Jesus. They say they follow Jesus, but they live a very different lifestyle. And the world says, man, I'm not so sure that there's power in what you say. The reality is, if I examine my own life, I've had loads of failures. In fact, I can point to failures in my life this week and say, if people were to see that, they would probably say, that guy doesn't have a lot of faith, like he says. 
And I come to Jesus and say, man, God, I'm sorry. I have blown it again. And the beautiful thing is that the God of the universe, who is gracious and kind and merciful, invites me back and he says, absolutely, come on. Come on, let's, let's do this right together. And God is inviting us, he's inviting me into a story where he is developing a legacy of faithfulness in me and in you. So I ask you tonight, how's, how's your faithfulness been? Are you living a life that is full of faith? If you're in this room and you say, man, I believe in Jesus, I'm a follower, I'm all in on this Jesus guy, ask yourself honestly, have I lived a life full of faith? Can people watch my choices and watch my persistence, my consistent perseverance? And they say, that's the evidence that that dude really does believe. Does my life behavior and attitudes and choices and my treatment of people, does my lifestyle authenticate that I am full of faith? Does your lifestyle authenticate that you are full of faith? Is there a track record for you? Is there a legacy being built in your life that you are full of faith? That you make choices that everyone can look at and say, that person has got to be full of strong belief. That person really is confident in the God they claim to be confident in. Is that true for you? If it's not, the good news is this, that tonight the legacy can begin. Tonight, you can say, Jesus, I've not been full of faith. And he says, I know, I still love you. Let's start the legacy tonight. That's the truth. How do we do that? How do we continually live a life inspired to be faithful? We do it very simply by remembering the gospel. First Thessalonians chapter 1, 4 and 5, Paul says this. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit with full conviction. How do you remember? How, how do you become inspired when you're struggling to be faithful? I don't know about you, every single day I have moments where I struggle to be faithful. There's some areas in my life where I'm very faithful and there's lots of areas in my life where I suck at being faithful. And here's what I gotta do. Every morning I get up and I look in the mirror and I say, Kenny, the gospel's for you. Jesus chose you he rescued you. He loves you. He has been faithful to you. And I allow that to sink in. And then I choose to allow that to inspire me to go be faithful, even when there's nothing in it for me. Remember the gospel. You see, anytime I choose to sin, anytime where I'm not faithful, it's because I've forgotten the gospel in that area of my life. Can you imagine a world where there's a group of Christians, people who literally legitimately love Jesus, that are being faithful. Let me paint the picture for a moment. What, what would the world look like? What would our church look like if we were legitimately faithful in every area where the gospel truly transformed every area of our life? Number one, there'd be no divorce. If everyone was faithful, there'd be no more brokenness in our marriages, in our churches. Gone overnight. If everyone's legitimately faithful in the way they ought to be, our church would never lack for resources. You know, occasionally, church leadership here at Mosaic and other churches, we, we have to make choices and say, we, here's all the ministry that God is calling us to do, but we have to say no to this and no to this because we don't have enough money to do it, so we can only do this or this over here. But if God's people were faithful, actually faithful the way they ought to be, that would never be a problem. 
Because God would see the needs. God would stir in his people to actually give. You would be faithful. You would actually give of your money and all of our needs would be taken care of. We would never have to choose between ministry ever again. That's not the reality though. Not in this church and not in most churches. Because we have lots of people not being faithful. Our families would not be nearly as dysfunctional or broken as most of them are if we were faithful. How about this? Our children's ministry and our student ministry here at Mosaic Church would not struggle to get staff and volunteers nearly as often. We are way grossly understaffed in our children's and student ministry department. Why? Because we've got lots of adults and lots of young adults with lots of time not being faithful to the gospel. So now we struggle in lots of areas. Lots of broken relationships that are, maybe even in this room, maybe fractured friendships. Maybe, maybe people who don't feel welcomed or people feel like they've been gossiped about or betrayed. All of that would go away if we were all faithful to the gospel. If we were all faithful to the gospel. I know in my own life, when I forget the gospel, I begin to do very stupid things. When I forget that God is going to provide for me, I... When I, when I forget that God's going to provide me, I lack in my faithfulness to financial giving. Because I look at my bills and I look at my financial responsibilities and I say, ugh, I got to hold on to a couple dollars. But God's saying, no, 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 no. Do you remember the gospel? Do you remember that I will provide for you? And that even if you go hungry, even if you lose everything, it's for the gospel's sake that ultimately I'm glorified in that. And I go, I remember the gospel. I remember what the gospel demands of me. And I become faithful in my giving again. Or, or moments when I feel lonely because I, I'm not married. I've shared it here in this space before. My, some of my own struggles. I begin to forget the gospel that God is satisfactory. That Christ is enough. When I forget that, when I forget that the gospel is true for me, I begin to seek to try to manufacture ways to, to find someone who would think I'm impressive. And God's going, don't you forget? Did you forget the gospel, Kenny? Do you think that the gospel is for you? You don't have to do that. You, do you forget that I am the sovereign God of the universe who controls everything? Did you forget that? How about moments when, when I feel like there's people that maybe don't like me and I want to go and try to, try to impress them or try to fix them or they're mad at me and I want to try to do what it takes to try to mend the relationship because I've forgotten the gospel. So now I'm putting more energy into having someone think I'm great than putting the energy into simply being faithful and serving. See, when I, when I forget the gospel, I begin to spend more energy trying to build my own kingdom and my own legacy, and I spend a whole lot less energy building the legacy that Jesus would have me to build. Ask yourself tonight, where are the areas where I have forgotten the gospel? Where are the areas that I know for sure that if I truly believe this gospel, I would be much more faithful in these areas? Where are the areas that I have seemingly forgotten that the God of the universe loves me and is intimately involved with me in those areas? Where have you forgotten the gospel? I want to remind you, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of him, Paul says this, for we know, brothers, loved by God. Not loved by people. Forget that. That's, that's of no value in compared to what you are. Loved by God. Loved by God. He has chosen you. He has chosen you. 
Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit. God has come and he's chosen you. He says, you belong to me. He says, he looked, he looked down from heaven. He says, you, I want that God in my family. I want Jared in my family. I want Luke in my family. I want Laura in my family. And I will do whatever it takes to win them to me. I will be faithful to them. That is the gospel truth. And it doesn't stop there. Then he says, after I've chosen you, after I've done whatever it takes to get you in my family, I then begin to do the work in you. And I invite you to be a part of the story of me bringing others into the family. And through you, I build a legacy that will be an encouragement to all the believers that catch wind of what I've done in you. Let's go be faithful. Let's live our lives with faithfulness so that God can build a legacy, the gospel legacy that he wants to build in us. Jesus Forgive me for areas where I've not been faithful to you, where I've not been full of faith, where my confidence in you has not been evident. God, every day I feel like I have moments where my confidence in you wavers. I feel like I fail over and over and over again. But I'm thankful that I know that you love me, that you've chosen me, that you've you've chasing after me, and that, God, you are doing the work in us, that you are faithful to us. God, would you inspire us tonight to be faithful? Not for any reward, not for anything to get in return, but God, would you inspire us? Would you give us the courage, give us the physical and emotional strength to choose to be faithful to you, to be full of faith, to live our lives in such a way that everyone knows we believe in you. God, give us the courage and the strength to do that, not for anything that we gain in return, but so that your gospel legacy will be built through us. And so that everyone that watches us, that everyone we correspond with, will know the power of the Holy Spirit in which we trust. God, will you give us the strength? Give us what we need. Holy Spirit, give us yourself in such a way that we will be faithful and that we will build a gospel legacy.